shows, Sports Night 590, the band, Justin and Ailish, and big day in the NHL as Patrice Bergeron announces retirement yesterday. One of the most respected players of all time, one of the best two-way forwards ever, certainly a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, his entire 19-year career with the Boston Bruins, basically winning anything and everything that you could, um, over 1,000 points, gold medalist, Absolute beauty of a person. He's everything. He is everything. And someone that knows him and uh, has been able to give a little insight on who Patrice Bergeron is and what he meant to the city of Boston is Andrew Raycroft, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. How's it going this morning, Andrew? I'm doing well, thanks. Hopefully everyone's... Doing okay up there? Yeah, we're hanging in there. Uh, some Maple Leafs fans probably bittersweet seeing the news of, of yesterday with Patrice Bergeron. You know, obviously uh, we can get into how well-respected and what of a great player he is, but he's also been at the hands of some drama for Maple Leafs fans. So I think everyone's feeling uh, a little bit nostalgic as well. So I know that you've uh, you've probably had a little bit of time now to, to settle in with this, but it was always going to happen. But did you still feel surprised knowing that yesterday was the big day that Patrice Bergeron did announce his retirement. I think the timing was a little surprising, just how the summer played out. Typically we we saw the last game. um, You saw the farewell and I, you know, I've seen enough of those thinking, okay, that was it. And then the longer it dragged out and you, you missed a few pressure points like July 1st and the draft and the NHL awards and he still hasn't retired and you're, you're maybe, Maybe as someone who follows the team is hoping ah, he, he could come back. Maybe he is coming back. But um, so, so that's the bit of the surprise of just how long it took. Um, not really sure why. I don't know if we'll get an answer to that. However, uh, the, the decision itself isn't as surprising. Yeah, I mean, we definitely knew it was a possibility for sure. We thought it was a possibility last year. I think maybe the length of time it took, it was like, oh, maybe he's you know just emotional end of the season and he will find his way back into a Boston Bruins uh, uniform. Uh, but you mentioned it. He has another great year. He wins a Selkie. He goes to the NHL award, or uh, at least accepts another award at the NHL awards. Uh, and I guess the question I think I have, and he would only really know the answer, but... Is he leaving too soon? Because it seems like he has a lot more to give still if he was willing. Uh, and this is a player that's still playing really, really well. And at the type, uh, not the top of his game maybe, but pretty darn close. Uh, do you think, in an understanding that you're not in his body, uh, that he might be leaving just a little too soon? Well, there's no question that he could play in the NHL next season, contribute and be at a high level for the Boston Bruins and, and fourth teammates and whether that's first line, second line, third line, I, I think I, I, my only assumption and it's only assumption and speculation. Cause again, I, like you said, I'm not in his body is that last season was hard and it was hard for him to get up. It was hard for him to prepare and they won 63 games. So, so you look at it from that point of view and you sit here in June and July as the player and say, wow, it was really hard for me to get up that last year. And we had the most historic regular season any team has ever had in the National Hockey League. So next year is only going to be harder, and we're not going to win as many games. So can I put myself, and and then, of course, put myself, which means putting my family through all of that again, that's typically how you know players get to the point of, of making this decision, is that it's just the preparation and looking ahead and knowing what February feels like in 
when you're sitting there in June thinking how hard that's going to be, you, you decide that it's probably not, not right for me. Uh, so we know where he's headed, Hall of Fame. Uh, he'll be a legendary Bruin. Uh, but do you think he belongs on the Mount Rushmore of Boston Bruins? Of course, there's Bobby Orr, there's Ray Bork, uh, Cam Neely. Uh, you'd know better than me. Is he a top four Bruin of all time? Is he better than that even? Uh, where does he rank in terms of legends of a legendary franchise? So there's Bobby Orr and there's Ray Bork. Those two are separated still, despite Patrice's amazing career. Those two guys are first. And then you have Cam Neely, you have Patrice Bergeron, you have Johnny Busick right there. Those are the next, those are the next three. Uh, and then Zidane Oshara. He's not in the Raptors yet. He's going to be in the Raptors as well. So essentially there's a next group of four. You could make an argument kind of to me that Patrice would settle outside the top five, but but for me, he's three or four, whether that's Cam Neely, whether that's Patrice Bergeron at three, whether that's and you flip them. I feel like Patrice Bergeron is, yes, in the Mount Rushmore of the top four. There is a tier that you could make arguments of the top six, but, but for me, he's top four. Talking to Andrew Raycroft, former NHL goaltender and current Nesson analyst and host of Morning Brew. Um, okay, so there's like two different types of conversation with Patrice Bergeron. There's him as a player and his longevity and what he was able to do and perform, but there's also the Patrice Bergeron that's so highly respected that is someone that on and off the ice people just can't speak highly enough about. Um, so in terms of the way that Patrice Bergeron carried himself, um, the professionalism, and we even saw that in the way that he announced his retirement, how special of a human is Patrice Bergeron? This part of it can't be overstated. You, you might overstate how well he played a 200-foot game and how great he was defensively. We could be overstating that, but as a person, that isn't in question. And we did a bunch of interviews yesterday here in Boston on TV with former Bruins, Lucic, Marshawn, Sean Thornton, and each one of them used the word mature. And, and I think of that word as well when I was – 23 and he was 18 and we were rooming together I always felt like he was still more mature than me and I played a couple years pro at that point and every single one of these other guys talked about how they were only a year or two away or Sean Thornton was older than him but he was always more mature than us and I, I think that's one of the best ways to explain how much of a professional he was how much he respected the game respected people how prideful he was of himself in what he did every single day. And he was so mature about it on a consistent basis that he was able to, no matter how bad of a mood he was in or upset he was, he worked 100% and he treated everybody around him and and still gave those minutes up that he probably didn't want to on a lot of days. Um, He's just, he really, there's so many people that have gone through all NHL locker rooms and you guys have seen it from behind in the media where this guy does a great job through through interviews and through the camera that everyone thinks he's a great guy, but he really isn't. And, and Patrice is the exact opposite of that. He, mm. he really is uh, a fantastic person, and, and I it just can't be overstated, all the kind words and, and what people say. It, it really is true. So it makes sense that, you know, everyone who comes into contact with Patrice respects Patrice Bergeron. Like, you know, just in like very brief passing, you can feel it, you can experience it when you're around him. But not everybody in the NHL has had like direct conversations with Patrice Bergeron. And yet, 
the respect is still even beyond, I think, anyone else, even in the NHL. Like, we're, we are talking about Sidney Crosby earlier, and it's like, Sidney Crosby doesn't get the same respect as Patrice Bergeron, despite everything that Sidney Crosby's done. And I think that is, you know, part of it is the fact that Patrice... I guess through 19 years was always the same, always commanding it. Maybe Sidney Crosby at times has been a little bit more uh, sandpaper compared to a, a guy like Patrice, who seems to be the same and has been the same, as you mentioned, even since you he was 18, 19 years old. But how do you gain respect from people that you don't have contact with? Like, how is his, how is his influence spread to every single corner of the NHL? Well, it's a small, small world, so it's word of mouth certainly helps. Uh, and the way he carries himself, I think he's always been the guy, even on the ice, to you know tap a guy on the shins. Or you know, there was a story the other you know a couple weeks, a couple months ago. Was it this season or last season? I can't quite remember. Sorry, with COVID, I get confused. But uh, Tage Thompson talking to him. He, he never played with him. He played with his dad in Providence, but heard about a family member being sick and he goes out of his way to, to say, hopefully everything's okay before the game starts. So it's things like that. And if, if you haven't seen it, you've heard from it from a, a teammate or a friend or a guy who's played with him, just how amazing he is because no one he really, he hasn't given anybody too many bad experience in his entire 19 year career. So it, it goes to that. And one other thing I just want to mention that I think tells a lot about his career is he missed 07, 08 with a concussion 2010, Sidney Crosby wants him on his line for the Winter Olympics in Canada. And in 2014, Sidney Crosby wants Patrice Bergeron on his line. 2016 World Cup, Sidney Crosby wants Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand on his line. So I think that alone, with Sidney Crosby arguably the best player of the last generation, wanting Patrice Bergeron right next to him in these major international tournaments also says a lot about him. Speaking with Andrew Raycroft. Um, okay, so a lot of questions to be to lo- be looked at um, moving forward with the Boston Bruins. But Justin and I were talking about the culture that Patrice Bergeron has instilled and has been a part of moving throughout his his lengthy career with the with the Bruins. So, in terms of a culture in that dressing room and a culture of accountability and work ethic and maturity. I, do you think that's going to be difficult to a replicate or at least hold a, a similar standard to, or have the guys that have been in that locker room really become a part of that through Patrice Bergeron that there shouldn't be that much of a step back moving forward? Well, yeah. So I think his, his main focus and what he will be, what he was laser focused on, what he'll be prideful about is this carrying on. I, I think what, how he's treated everybody in this dressing room for whether it was 13 years with Brad Marchand or seven years with Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak, or just a couple years with Charlie Coyle and Pavel Zaka. He, he needs this to continue and has, has shown that this is the way it works and this is how you win and this is how you become better people. So I, I think with Brad Marchand, Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak leading the way, I think it does continue. Of course, It'll sound different. It'll feel different because Patrice isn't there. But but I certainly believe that the Bruins culture isn't going to disintegrate over a summer without Patrice Bergeron. 
It's interesting because like Brad Marchand clearly doesn't have the same, like didn't have the same vibe as a young guy as Patrice Bergeron and maybe would be considered a bit difficult to, you know, handle uh, in those early years, but he has become more and more professional as they go. And, and I'm sure, you know, the Patrice Bergeron effect is going to live through these guys uh, forever, but there is an on ice aspect here. And Patrice Bergeron is still an elite guy, probably the best two way forward in the league. Selkie trophy winner, Losing him on the ice, what does that mean for the Boston Bruins? That's that's what I'm really interested to see what it looks like on the ice because I think there's been so many subtle plays made over the over the years where we might not have those this season, and will we really notice them as as NHL fans or? Will it just show up every couple weeks in one extra goal against the Boston Bruins? Um, I, so I think it's going to be it, – it's hard for me to say right now, but there's no question you can't fill those skates. You can't fill those moments out on the ice where he turns a game that feels like it's out of the Bruins' hands or he wins a soft draw that's crucial on the penalty kill. So all of those things are going to be really hard for the Bruins to fill. I think it will amount to – one or two or three extra losses over the season. Um, but I don't think it's going to be as noticeable, just a lot more subtle in, in how it affects the Bruins. Uh, the context of last season is key too, right? Because like, I mean, that leadership, everything that he's installed inside the organization, it's going to have to bear fruit because to come back from last season where you have an historically great regular season, you have an immense playoff disappointment you lose a player like Patrice Bergeron. Like we've saw, seen this with the Maple Leafs where, yeah, they're just waiting for April to roll around again. How are we going to get through 82 games and wait for April to roll around again? Now, it's a bit different with Patrice Bergeron moving on, but is it going to feel like that? Is 82 games going to be a drag for this team because you're just trying to get to the point again where you're proving it on the playoff stage after what happened last year in the playoffs? Uh, I think a little bit. There will be a little bit of that. I think with Patrice not being here, I think there'll be some urgency earlier than if he had to come back. Um, if he does come back, I, I would completely agree with you. I think then they're just looking ahead. Okay, we can't choke in the playoffs again. Without him, there's a Pavel Zakas of the world. The entire team essentially has to step up and prove that they can win and do it the way that the Bruins have always done it without Patrice Bergeron. So for me, that's, that urgency is being created a little bit earlier in the season for this team. And can they overcome that adversity of not having Patrice Bergeron in their lineup for the first time in 19 years? I know we, uh, we've passed free agency here for a little bit um, since July 1st, but do you think there's a move that the Bruins, I, I'm, I'm sure they kind of knew that this was going to happen or they had at least maybe contingency plan, but do you see them making any moves, whether it's before the season or are trying to fill that void um, anytime soon or they'll go forward with the roster that they've constructed? Well, I think at this point, everybody's kind of going forward with the mm. roster they have. I, uh, the gridlock in the NHL is, has stymied the Bruins as much as anyone because of where they've, they're at with, the, with their salary cap, excuse me, and with, with their guys leaving. So I would expect them to make a move or two if the league frees up. Uh, but that's a big if at this point with the way things have gone the last month and a half, two months. So um, they have arbitration this week with, with Trent Frederick and Jeremy Swayman. So that will also make the picture a little bit clearer when they get through that, where they're at with salary cap and what kind of deals they can or would make. But 
Um, the, the landscape of the NHL, I think, is dictating the lack of moves more than anything else for the Boston Bruins. This might be a little bit of a weird question, but who deserves <laughs> credit for Patrice Bergeron? Like, he may have been born this natural leader, this ultra-respected individual, but generally that's a uh, a nurture thing. Um, is there someone, I get, you know, you had those experiences with him when you were young, you were 23, he was 18 or 19. Uh, you learned probably about his past life uh, and how he got to that point. Is there is is it a family thing? Uh, how did Patrice Bergeron become the Patrice Bergeron that showed up as a pro in the NHL? Well, it starts with me. That's mm, that, there's no course. question about that. It, it certainly started with me, and this is for. Well, you were roommates, so you probably did help. Yes, yes, we were. Yeah, we. Yeah, it was all me. Um, <laughs> I just unfortunately couldn't translate it into my game in any way, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, he comes from a great family. His, his, both of his parents are great people. Um, social work, like worked in the community. I think they get, obviously that's where the base always starts for all of us is at home. I think him having Marty LaPointe and Felix Potvin that first year in Boston with us was, was very, very important for Patrice. I think living with Marty LaPointe, having Stanley Cups in that house with the kids, I think he influenced. Patrice in a big way. Ray Bork being in this area was also a huge influence for Patrice. He came in, Ray had just retired. Ray was just back in Boston and they spent a lot of time together and and Ray did uh, a great job explaining to Patrice and, and helping him learn. So those are the guys when I was around that I saw influencing Patrice in a, in a very positive way. I'm sure the Zidane Charas and the Sean Thor, like there's a bunch of guys that also helped over the next 10, 15 years, but but for me, my personal experience were, were those guys up close, but of course, it always starts at home. I'm sure you've been asked this, or you've been thinking about it for the last uh, day at least, uh, but like a favorite pa- uh, Patrice Bergeron story, whether that was as, uh, an on-ice thing, an off-the-ice story, a roommate story, something that uh, you'll remember when you look back on his career. My, I just remember him always sleeping. That's kind of the story I've been saying. Like him as an 18 year old, and he didn't do anything. He didn't go anywhere. He just wanted to go home, and he could have four, five hour naps after a pregame skate and go out and get a goal and assist as an 18 year old in the NHL. So we did a ton of sleeping that season, uh, and it always impressed me that that he could outsleep me uh, at that point. But. That between that and just him being such a, a nice person all the time, uh, those are the, the two memories that I have that, that I think of first when you ask about Patrice. This sounds like our post work plans: just sleep all the time and <laughs> uh, and try to be nice people, and maybe we'll be like Patrice Bergeron one oh, day. Now I'm an excuse to not be nice because I got to get up every morning. That's to do true. Show. That's true. Uh, Andrew, we love jumping on, um, getting a chance to chat with you. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll we'll catch up down the road when the Leafs and the Bruins uh, face off. Sounds great. Coming soon. Have a good rest of the summer. Thanks so much. That's Andrew Raycroft, former NHL goaltender and Nesson analyst and co-host of The Morning Brew. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Unfortunate update. I was going to say, there you go. Bad news now. Yeah, bad news. Bad news. Uh, Canada is down 1-0. Three minutes in, was it? Three minutes in. Katie McCabe scored on a corner, not from a corner, on a corner. No, God, please, no. No. She curled the ball in from the corner spot. So not the greatest moment for Canadian goaltender Kaylin Sheridan. It looked like she wasn't ready. She looked very confused by where it was headed. Confused that the ball was coming at her from the corner. (laughs) 
I don't know. Yeah, now she's down on the pitch. It looks like she's getting some treatment. So uh, we may see a uh, new goaltender, but not because she misread the corner from McKay. But yeah, Canada is down 1-0. They are definitely in need of a goal if they're going to make something of this World Cup. It is already very, very tight and no room for error for this Canadian team. So down one nothing at the World Cup in their second game to Ireland. Yeah, pretty nightmare start for this one. So, oh, she looks like she's... Going to figure it out. So go. let's go Canada. Just shrugged off a trainer. That's what you want to see. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, great to have perspective from someone who roomed with Patrice. Yeah. Little concerned about how important sleep is and being a good person. I know. As soon as he said sleep, I was like, an oh, issue well, for we're us. screwed. Yeah. But now I have an excuse. I can just be who I am, which is not Patrice Bergeron. We were talking about this um, off the air, what we think Patrice Bergeron will do next. And I I thought, oh, okay, how long till he's a panelist? A uh you know, NHL network guy, like, is he going to be a zipping around the TV screen? But it doesn't really feel like that might be where he ends up. I don't think he's a content guy. I think actually the goodbye kind of tells you he's not a content guy. He's it like, was, don't message it me. It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to do a Players Tribune thing in two weeks and say goodbye officially, or I'm going to, you know, write something in the Boston Globe. It was bostonbruins.com and it was a heartfelt <laughs> goodbye, but it was not, hey, let's make a big deal of it. I don't think Patrice Bergeron is into making a big deal of Patrice Bergeron. And I think, uh, you know, fathering duty calls. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably just going to be a father who's not in pain at all times because he's grinding through a 20th NHL season. They've got four children, Zach, Noah, Victoria, and Felix. Look at you off the top of your head. After Potvin? Maybe. I mean, how many other Felixes Felix do you is name a great your name. child after? It's a good name. That's a new one. A uh, little July 8th baby. Um, but I could see him just being a quiet dad, Maybe helping out around the rinks, coaching with that ball cap on where you're like, is that Patrice Bruce? Uh. Maybe an advisory role with the Bruins makes sense. I mean, he can be an assistant to the GM. The Leafs have lots of those spots. They do. <laughs> assistant they do. regional manager. Yeah. You don't, you still don't get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. What does it mean? It's from the office. There you go. Watch one episode, then we'll chat. I have. I've probably seen that episode. <laughs> Boom. Roasted. Just didn't go. find it as funny Who as, was that? as you found it. Uh, I think Michael Scott. Yes, I didn't really hear that well. You're basically, basically. I mean, I'm expert. passing the test. Come on. I do. I did say you need to go see Barbie though, because you. This is like Justin sending me Barbie memes yesterday. I'm like, you haven't even seen the show. Like, you haven't seen the movie. What are you? But you don't know what this means. It's, I mean, it's someone showing emotion. It's not like. But it means something different do when you, you need watch the it. Entire backstory. You kind of do because maybe it didn't mean what you think it mean. See someone showing emotion. It's that's what they're trying to convey. Well, we certainly Said showed emotion. emotion this morning talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. Who hey, had, you want to rehash that they discussion quickly? Blew a four-run lead in the ninth inning. Maybe the worst loss of the season. Hopefully, it is. Oh, hopefully, we don't see any more like that. Uh, but a uh, pretty disappointing end to a game which they had in their hands at the very final dying moments. Uh, they. Uh. It was out of their hands, I think, the moment Mitch White well, emerged from the bullpen. After we saw Mitch White, it was the white flag was being waved. Yes. Uh, 4 p.m. start today, so that's a nice little treat. 4.10. Um, looks like, uh, is it our boy Kikuchi on the mound? It is. Yes. I love Kikuchi. He's going to he's gonna turn this ship around. It's Kikuchi on the mound. Um, Tony Gonsolin Tony on the other Gonsolin. side. Tony Gonsolin had a hell of a year last year. That's weird. The Dodgers, I mean, it's. I guess it's pretty simple. Urias, who pitched last night, hasn't had a great season. Gonsolin, who's pitching today, hasn't had a great season. But there's still names that you probably think are going to come up 
uh, with decent uh, starts and decent appearances at the right time. So, yeah, it's a big one. Rubber match. See if the Blue Jays can get it done after blowing a chance to have an easy series victory uh, last night. So they play today. They have an off day tomorrow as they head back home because Friday night is the big one. Shohei Otani and the Angels visit Rogers Center. We'll have that on Sportsnet 590, the fan on Friday night. Ben Shulman and Madison Shipman with the call. It's going to be an electric atmosphere at the Rogers Center. Tickets are flying off the shelves. You got to get there. You got to see Shohei and could be his last ever start as an angel. Maybe, maybe not. Nobody seems to know the answer. But let's talk to Caitlin McGrath on the other side of the break. Blue Jays reporter for The Athletic. It's been a while since we got to chat with her. She'll be at the uh, spectacle Friday night. How fired up is she to see Shohei and what is a very pivotal series for both the Blue Jays and the Angels and Blue Jays could play spoiler for people that want to see Shohei on another team or even to stay with the Angels. Caitlin McGrath next on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show. Justin and Ayler, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Unrivaled insight, analysis, and opinions on all things Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, back on the Fan Morning Show, Sports at 590 The Fan. Uh, trying dancing, to decide sorry. in the break, you were dancing, trying to decide in the break uh, if we're blaming Josh behind the glass for Canada being down one nothing to Ireland after playing the dropkick Murphys earlier in the show. Uh, I, I Yeah, he was talking about the Celtics, but uh, I want to follow my own narrative. How about that? <laughs> he says yeah. he's going to blame yeah, the he's goalie. Blaming, he's blaming Kalen Sheridan for clearly misplaying uh, a corner <laughs> kick and seeing Canada down one nothing in the second match at the World Cup for Canada. But we will decide that after the show. Who's to actual who's actually to blame for Canada being a down? Uh, let's get to our final guest of the day. Talk a little Blue Jays after a tough one in L.A. <laughs> and with the Angels coming to town this weekend. Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic. Uh, good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. How are we doing today? Is it a good morning, Caitlin? <laughs> well, not for the Blue Jays, but wow. for me, I'm fine. Okay, good. Okay. As long as you're good. <laughs> so, uh, what's like? What's like the big take home? Like, like, what's the big fatal flaw after last night's game? Like, uh, uh, of course, Eric Swanson's, you know, responsible for those runs, and Mitch White is responsible for the one that actually put the dagger in. But uh, is there something else that like really looms large for you when assessing how they got to that point and how they lost that game? Well, I think you probably, like, a bigger picture takeaway might be, like, hmm, this bullpen needs some help. Like, they've been a good bullpen. They've been really good at times, but clearly some of them are getting fatigued. Um, I think Swanson in particular, uh, he's pitched almost more than he's ever pitched, or he's on pace to pitch more than he's ever pitched. Um, He's taken on a pretty big role with the Blue Jays. I mean, last year he was great with Seattle, but, like, Seattle had a great bullpen they had a lot of guys, um, and so, you know, Swanson was just sort of one of many that they could plug in in late innings, whereas with the Blue Jays, he's pretty consistently been, like, their eighth-inning guy, um, and for the most part, he's been great at that role, but, you know, it looked like, you know, yesterday it, was two, it could be two things. A, it could be, yeah, he's feeling a bit gassed, um, and, and two, like, closing is a really different animal. Um, he's, he's done it before. Um, but, you know, on the road, Dodge Stadium, Dodgers are a really good lineup. Uh, he obviously didn't have his best stuff 
and just kind of spiraled from there. But, you know, I think the bigger takeaway is that, yeah, this, this bullpen probably needs some help. You have maybe Chad Green coming up soon. Um, you have the trade deadline coming up. Relief help maybe would be something they should look for uh, just to kind of have some reinforcements and help their bullpen a little bit. Where are you at with Mitch White? <laughs> Where can you be with Mitch <laughs> That's White? That's an open-ended question. Take it as you'd like. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that um, you look back at that trade and, you know, on paper, you get it in theory at the time. The Blue Jays were looking for some starting depth. And, you know, last year he was, he was fine. Um, you know, early on he was fine. And for whatever reason, it has just not been there this year. I mean, he's spent a lot of the year injured. Um, and then when he's been available, he's just not been effective. And I think that it's, you know, the Blue Jays, we've been talking about, like, the Blue Jays coming up and having like a six man rotation potentially with Ryu coming back. And, you know, if you have a six man rotation, you have one less reliever, um, you have a seven, seven man bullpen basically. But, you know, realistically the Blue Jays have kind of been operating with that already because Mitch White is very much low on the depth chart. He pitched yesterday just because he was really the only arm available. Like you're not in an ideal world. You're not having Mitch White out there an extra innings against um, the Dodgers when the game's online. Um, and so I do think that we're getting to a point where there's going to be a 40-man roster crunch. They're going to have to get a bare minimum two guys on the 40-man with uh, Chad Green and Ryu. And so you're going to have to clear a couple spots. And you're probably looking at potentially moving on from Mitch White. Maybe you do end up trading him. Maybe you can throw him in a trade. Um you know, maybe you can find someone that would be willing to take him, but it could also be a situation where he is DFA'd. He could slip through waivers potentially, um, but another team could claim him. But, you know, I, I do think that we're probably nearing the end just because he doesn't have options that kind of, um, you know, ties the hands of the club. They can't do much with him. And, you know, clearly he's just, he's not really an, an option for them. And, you got to really use every roster spot carefully. And especially now that you're, um, you're clearly seeing some arms fatigued and you're going to have to add a few guys. You really can't have any sort of wasted roster spots. And I don't know that having Mitch White in the bullpen is a great use of that sort of final roster spot um, from the pitching perspective. Yeah, I'm chalking that up, uh, that loss up to management, honestly. Like, I understand the situation with Mitch White. There are no options. I guess you want to try to tell a better story for, you know, the Mitch White trade. Uh, but if you're doing, like, the self-preservation thing, if you're trying to do the optics thing, well, I, I think the optics or the preservation of optics cost you a game last night because you're right. They went through everyone. They went through their entire bullpen, and they had one guy left, and it was Mitch White, and they put him out there, and they lost the game. And unfortunately, it seems to me like they were asking for that sort of loss and that the options or the resolution on Mitch White can't really come soon enough. Yeah, I mean, you think about would you have rather had Nate Pearson available? I mean, maybe the stuff is there, right? Like, we obviously know that the last time Nate Pearson pitched, it didn't go well, and he has had a few blow-up outings. But I think for the large majority of his time with the Blue Jays, he was really good. He was looking like he was really rounding into an effective 
reliever. He obviously has his stuff, and he has to sharpen it a little bit. But, you know, maybe you take him um, over Mitch White. Uh, potentially same outcome could have happened, but maybe you prefer uh, a guy that throws 100 up there, right, with your chances. Um, Zach Pops, the other guy, he's been down in Buffalo too, and, like, early on he had great stuff. Again, like, it's about sharpening his stuff. It's about being able to execute and all that. I have, Truthfully, I haven't looked at Zach Pop's numbers in a while, so I don't know how he's doing in, in um, Buffalo. But, again, like, he's he showed some stuff early on. And so, yeah, like, if you're thinking about what, what in an alternate universe, like, who else could have been an option there? And, yeah, maybe it was Nate Pearson. Or, or maybe maybe you used Nate Pearson earlier in the game. Or maybe Nate Pearson closed it out and you didn't use Eric Swanson because, you know, whatever. So, yeah, I, I do think that you can play, you can kind of run yourself in circles with like, what if, what if, what if? I mean, ultimately, it was a bad loss. It was a loss the Blue Jays um, shouldn't have had. They should have won that game, clearly. But that's going to happen over the season. We might look back, and this might be the worst loss of their season. And you just hope that it really doesn't come back and, and haunt them. We're chatting with Kayla McGrath of The Athletic. Okay, so let's look maybe a little forward, uh, maybe something positive in the distance, and that's Hanjun Ryu. We saw him yesterday, got a little bit of applause at Dodger Stadium, which was very special, and um, I know Blue Jays fans are eager to know when he will be back in the starting rotation and what to expect from him, and I wonder for you how this is going to impact uh, six days from now. The trade deadline is rapidly approaching. The Blue Jays haven't seen him in a major league start uh, in uh, quite a while, of course, so is this timing going to make it uh, almost imperative that they do add a starting pitching um, a prospect to their rotation, or do you think they'll be confident with Hanjun Ryu and his return if it is next week? Yeah, it's interesting. The timing is going to be like right in line with probably the, the trade deadline in the sense that like he could be making the start that day. Um, we don't really know when he's starting, but like, yeah, we know it won't be in the Angels series. And then, you know, when Baltimore comes to town, it is the trade deadline. So it's going to be, like, right around there. You know, it's interesting. Like, I think uh, I was curious whether the Blue Jays would have wanted to see him sort of, like, well before the deadline, like maybe a couple days just to give them a sense. But, you know, clearly they don't need that. And, you know, I understand. They have so much more information. They probably know what they're going to do. or They have so many different plans of what they're going to do in terms of do they acquire a starter, do they not. Um, that it probably doesn't really matter how he pitches in his first game. Like, um, that's not going to be the be-all and end-all of that decision. Um, there's so many other factors. But, yeah, I think that um, I think that it can be helpful for the Blue Jays. I mean, it's a big question mark how Ryu will pitch. I mean, he's 36 years old. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. All the, like, results in the minors have been really good, and everything the Blue Jays have said about him has been, like, really good. Um, you know, he's lost a ton of weight. Um, he looks really fit. He looks really great. Um, and I think that if he can just give the Blue Jays some like quality innings, like I, you don't need him to go out there and be like a Cy Young um, contender or anything. But if you can really insert him in that period where the Blue Jays do play like 17 games in 17 days, mm-hmm. which is going to be a grind for everybody, especially at that time of year, uh, then that could be really helpful. Like it gets you know, some of the starters um, to rest. Maybe it helps the bullpen a little bit, um, although ultimately you, you will lose a reliever. But maybe it helps them still um, if he can give them some innings and um, just gives a little boost to the team. I mean, everybody loves Hunjin Ryu. Um, everybody's happy that he's around. I think everyone would be really happy to see him pitch and, and go out there and, and have a good start. So 
Um, in terms of like the deadline, like I think there's still an avenue where the Blue Jays could explore starting pitching depth. I mean, ideally that would come as a guy with options, maybe a guy that could be um, stashed away in AAA, and you know you you have him there as an option if someone goes down, uh, but you can also just like have him on your your roster basically. Um, or maybe it comes in the form of like more of a swingman, like maybe you get some relief help, but it's a person that can throw multiple innings, um, is comfortable starting, but can also uh, pitch out of the bullpen. Like that might be an ideal ad for the Blue Jays. Um, so I don't think like how Hunjin Ryu like pitches necessarily is going to determine what they do. I think they've pretty much decided what they're going to do, or um, they have various plans of what they're going to do. But I think ultimately Ryu coming back can only be, you know, a good thing for the Blue Jays, assuming that, you know, he can get out for them and he can pitch and he can have a quality start for them. So you lay out a, a few options of directions that the Blue Jays could go at the trade deadline. There's obviously starting pitching, there's bullpen help, there's an impact bat. Um, and I wanted to bring up a, a point that Jeff Passan made, um, ESPN's MLB insider, about how you know uh, conversations are that maybe Toronto hasn't done enough to convince ownership that they should be going in, and that maybe they're still in the muddled middle. Um, if you look at like the points of confidence, if the Blue Jays were to add at the at the trade deadline and add significantly to make a push to say, you know, we want to make this window this year or next year, um, where does that point of confidence for you shine the brightest? Is it in the young talent and Bo and Vladdy kind of turning it around here and getting hot when it matters? Is there something that for you maybe the starting two three on the rotation that says that this team could and should be added? some significant impact at the trade deadline? I mean, yeah, I think this is a a good team. I mean, they have been, um, you know, one of the better teams in the American League for the past, like, two and a half months, like, really, um, since they got through their awful May. um, They've been really good. They've been winning more than they've been losing. Um, They've been a playoff spot pretty consistently. Like, all signs point to, like, this is a good team, and I think, um, you look across the roster and yeah, the young talent, uh, the season that Bo's having, um, the season that some of the guys are having, you know, it's a great defensive team. The starting pitching has been, um, for the most part, really effective. Uh, the bullpen has been really effective for the most part, you know, the last couple games, notwithstanding. So yeah, this is a team that you should invest in. I think one thing that I come back to in terms of like adding impact, like I get it, they should add impact, but I would also say that like where they're looking to add is not necessarily going to be a huge impact in this. And I mean that in the sense that like, they probably just need a, a bench bat. Like, you know, they have a pretty set um, roster. They have a pretty set lineup. Like you're not really looking to replace anyone in the starting lineup. You know, you have a shortstop, you have a you know, MVP caliber shortstop. You have the best, one of the best third basemen. You have one of the best first basemen. Um, you're fine at second base with Whit, the season that Whit Merrifield's having. You know, you love what Kevin Kiermaier's doing for you in center field, and he's been a great bat too. You know, George Springer, maybe you want a little more from him, but you're not looking to replace him. And so I think, like, <clears throat> in terms of, like, what they can do, like, they can make a splash, but that splash is going to be sort of someone that is in a very particular role. I think they could really use, um, like, a veteran type of bat that could come in and be a spark. Someone like, you know, the name like Tim Anderson was kind of floated. I've seen that one. And that's really interesting to me. I mean, he's not having a good season um, on the whole with the White Sox, but he's hitting lefties really well. And that's kind of what the Blue Jays could use. Um, He could give you some insurance at shortstop. Um, He's a veteran. He's a guy that has 
you know, been through a lot in his career, has experienced a lot in his career and could potentially like provide a boost. Like that's someone that I think like could be really impactful. And is he going to play every day in Toronto? No, probably not. But yeah, he could be an impact. He could, um, you know, add a boost to the team. So I look at it like that. Like, I don't know that you're going to get this 2021 type uh, trade deadline where they're going to like make a trade for like Brios, who was the best, one of the best starters on the market that year. Like, I don't, that happening just because it's like where do you put that person right like where do you fit um someone of that caliber on this team i mean i guess you can always add and you can make it complicated but um i think that they're probably looking to like improve the margins in the sense that like if this team is really gonna go on a tear make a run for it have a great playoff like it's gonna have to come mostly internally like it's gonna have to be george springer um, you know, being the best he can be. It's going to be Vlad turning into the MVP. You know, he can be, it's going to be like, you know, maybe some more home runs from Matt Chapman. Like, it's going to be all those things. It's really going to change things for the Blue Jays and make it so that they're really, really a contender. Um, whereas the trade deadline can offer some level of boost, but I don't know if it's going to be a big splash. Okay, let's, can I entertain the splash for a second? And I guess the splashiest splash would be Shohei Otani. Uh, Jeff Passan <laughs> also mentioned that, okay, in addition to the Orioles and Rays, I believe it was, Ailish, uh, that yes. the Blue Jays were another name that comes up among executives talking about Shohei Otani. Um, the margins is more likely, uh, definitely. Uh, improving at the margins, maybe getting that bat, maybe getting a couple bullpen arms maximum in terms of impact back there to help you and eliminate the Mitch Whites of the world from needing to be on the mound in big spots. But do you, you do not, even if you don't suspect, do you see any reason or rationale to go big game hunting and to try to get Shohei Otani into a Blue Jays uniform for two months plus? I mean, if you can do it, why not? Like, I, I obviously, like, on paper, like, it would make this team so much better. It'd be incredible. It'd be such a boost. Like, um, you know, I don't know, like if you could say like something intangible, like just doing it could help a team, but maybe like he's such a unicorn of a player that I think um, if he was just added to a clubhouse, like it would be such a lift. Um, But I mean, it's so unlikely. I think it's unlikely just in general that he'll be traded because even if the angels, um, you know, are not they're they're close enough, and even if they're still sort of somewhat of a distance out of a playoff spot, maybe it's like about four games or so. Um, I mean, he's just having such an incredible season. Um, he could be chasing down like the home run record. Um, you kind of want him to be on your team and to sell tickets and for fans to be able to watch that. Like, I think it would be such a draining move for the Angels that I, I don't see how ownership would want to do that to their club. It would be just such a like throwing in the towel and it's like why why do that um especially if you know you have like mike trout coming back from injury eventually and the team's going to get healthier like i think that you would probably want to invest in an exciting stretch run for the team rather than be like ah, oh, we're done and throwing in the towel on august 1st like and trading him so um yeah it, it would be really cool i don't see it happening you know the other thing with the blue jays to consider is like do they have a strong enough farm system like it would absolutely sort of decimate their farm system i think and you know, this is a mostly pretty sort of pragmatic, careful front office. Like, we haven't really seen them um, go totally, totally all in like that at the trade deadline, like like a Padres team does, um, especially for a rental. So I think if you did it, you really want to make sure you could sign him. I think it's more likely to watch the Blue Jays just in free agency and, and obviously they're, do their due diligence, due diligence and check on him. And I think it's more likely that 
they check on him then. Um, but yeah, maybe. I mean, that would be awesome. But I just I don't count on it happening. <laughs> Yeah, it could not be more out of character, uh, I suppose. And instead, we'll have to settle for the spectacle that will be Friday night. Uh, Shohei Otani is to pitch against the Blue Jays for the Angels. Uh, is that, last one for you, the like the number one attraction uh, covering games at the ballpark this year, having Shohei Otani pitching in Toronto? Yeah, I remember he pitched last year in Toronto, right? Like, didn't him and Manoa have that sort of duel? Was that last year? Sometimes it all blurs. Um, it must have been, though. Uh, so, yeah, this will be fun. Um, you know, it's always a treat to get to see, like, a player like him. Like, you sort of have to savor the moments that you do get to watch him. And I remember, like, seeing him on the field last year, and, like, he's so big. You don't realize how big he is. And, you know, I'm around major league players all the time, but he's just like so special that you're sometimes like, wow, like look at him. Like he's like just this like perfect human specimen or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we can't wait. Uh, It'll be a sellout crowd for sure on Friday night when Shohei hits the mound. Uh, Caitlin, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for jumping on with us and enjoy the weekend. Thank you. That's Caitlin McGrath, Blue Jays reporter at The Athletic, and our, not our insider. We already did our insider. Get a multiple insider. But you know what? She's an insider on the Blue Jays beat. 100%. Canada just scored. Yeah, uh, update in Canada's match with Ireland at the World Cup. It looked like Julia Grasso scored. It's a goal nonetheless. It's credited as an own goal. I don't know if it hit but, any but Irish the Canada, defenders. The Canadian national team Twitter account just tweeted, Lawrence. Really? Yeah. Oh, maybe she got a touch. Anyway, it was coming through bodies, and it somebody uh, put the ball in the net. Okay, the net miner. So it looks like in stoppage time, we are going to be headed to the break at one-one between Canada and Ireland. Before we go to break for the day, we got to hit a wake and rake. Let's do it. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money. With Ailish and Justin. Okay, let me go first. Uh, you were the weakest link last night. Let's turn that around. I'm going to go with the Chicago Cubs on the money line. They're playing the White Sox. I love when the two teams go head-to-head. They have the Subway Series going on the same time as the Chicago head-to-head. And Marcus Stroman's on the mound, and he's going to be a hot trade chip, possibly. So he's going to want to put out. A great performance today. So Cubs minus 121 on the money line. They beat the White Sox yesterday, and I think they can do so again today. My preferred pick yesterday is my preferred (laughs) pick today. I am now taking the United States women's national team to beat the Netherlands in the 90 minutes, minus 143. I'm surprised this line hasn't moved either way. It's exactly what it was yesterday when I tried to pick it and tried to avoid uh, being the one who is the trap door, uh, but I will go with the U.S. women today to get a win over the Netherlands to improve to 2-0 at the World Cup. Okay, so um, we have two submissions, and they are both the same thing. Will from Niagara and Chris from Etobicoke, Courier Chris from Etobicoke, say Kikuchi over five and a half strikeouts. You say Kikuchi over five and a half strikeouts should be our anchor pick, so let's put that in there. Um Everybody loves Yusei Kikuchi. Let me Let's make do our it. little parlay. And that will come to plus four. Plus 82. four. Plus 482 is close to plus five. That's plus a good number. I love it. With my minus money in there, a Canadian corner kick before the half here. We it, This, this half's not <laughs> over yet. We're in the ninth minute of added time, and our show is coming to an end. It is in the air, and it is... Oh, knocked just wide. Wide. Okay, so it looks like so, it'll be 1-1 Canada and Ireland 
headed to the break. Okay, so USA on the money line, Cubs on the money line, and Kikuchi over strikeouts is our parlay for today. Uh, big weekend approaching. The Blue Jays are in action 4-10 today, so a nice afternoon day as they head back home to play the Angels 7 o'clock on Friday night. It's going to be a, an absolute treat. We'll have that game on Sports 590 The Fan, Ben Shulman and Madison Shipman with the call. It'll be a 7 p.m. game, a 3 p.m. game, and then an earlier Sunday start. So usually it's a 1 p.m. start, it's a 12 p.m. start on Sunday. So if you're making plans to come to the Rogers Center this weekend, be aware of the different times for the games. There you go. Fun show. Should be a fun weekend. Friday night should be the highlight. But uh, yeah, let's uh, get a let's get a series victory over the Dodgers before we move on to the Angels. And let's get a Team Canada win. Sure. As well, before they head to their final game next week against Australia. All right. Thanks for listening to the Fan Morning Show this morning. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Baby Friday. Chat then.